0: So there's always a sense of finality in the last YAC meeting of the year. Um, It's a good finality, but like, things are going to be different in three months. Uh, Some people will be literally on the other side of the world in three months in Japan. Um, Some of you will have grown a couple inches. Uh, Some of you will come back with deeper voices. Hopefully just the guys. Um, um, Some of you will have gone through some like some hardships, and you're going to come back different, just from life experiences. Um, So it's just going to be different in three months. Um, A lot of the chess pieces on the board are going to be the same, but it's going to be a different game. Um, So as we approach the end of Luke, looking forward and looking back, I want to make this, I've tried to make this talk super practical. Because we've gone through the whole book of Luke over the course of the last um, several months. So we're at the end. Um, We are past the cross, and now we're seeing the outcome of the death of Christ. Um, So hopefully you can remember these things. Now, remember, as we studied Luke, this isn't like the diary of Luke. When we talk about inspired scripture, um, it is Luke... um, being directed by the Spirit, gathering eyewitness testimony, writing down different source material that he's putting together from different disciples, and compiling it into a structured format it to where when people read it, and most importantly, when people hear it, because you got to remember, during the first several centuries, more people were going to hear this book than read this book. They were going to be able to follow along. Um, When we talk about inspired scripture, we're not talking about someone taking a hat, a crystal ball in a hat, putting it over their face, and then dictating it. That's called Mormonism. Um, And we are Orthodox Christianity. And yes, that's how they got the Book of Mormon, by the way. So we're going to read Luke 23.50 through 24.53 today. And I hope you see some patterns from the structure. The first part of the section we're going to read is just the introduction. How did these ladies get to where they are? And then we're going to see these ladies come back to an empty tomb. And the first thing they're going to believe is just, what happened? They're going to be blinded to what happened. And it's going to take somebody expounding the scriptures to them, reminding them of what was promised for it to click. And then what are they going to do? They're going to run back and they're going to tell their friends what happened. And that structure of blindness... Scripture being um, given and then fellowship is going to happen both on the road to Emmaus with two guys and then with the disciples locked in a room um, when Jesus appears to them. That same threefold structure takes place. Um, So because to keep my voice tame, I'm going to break break off who's reading. So some of you are going to read for me tonight. If you'd like to read, raise your hands. Read Luke twenty three fifty. Okay, uh, Dad, if you could read, if you could read fifty through fifty six, and then if I could have Caleb read twenty four one through twelve, and then if I could have Mercy, are you okay with reading? You're another thespian. Um, if you could read verse thirteen in chapter twenty four through twenty seven, and then if I could have Mia. Are you okay with that, Mia? Okay, Mia, if you could read 28 through 35. We're getting through the whole book tonight. I don't care if it takes us a little bit longer. 28 through 35 in chapter 24. And then I'm going to have Zachary read chapter 24, 36 through 49. And then the big finale, let me have, I'll read the Ascension. I'll read 50 through 53. Wait, I'm reading Luke 24, what? 28, 20. 20, chapter 24, verses 28 through 35. Okay. Okay. okay, so if you want to start, Dad, whenever you want. My name is Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of
1: the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked
0: for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb out cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed. And saw the tomb and how the body was laid. Then they returned, prepared spices and ointments.
1: On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. When they were perplexed about And to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the uh, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe it. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at
2: And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to
3: them in all the scriptures and things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave and their eyes grew and their eyes were open and opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight they said to each other did did not our hearts burn within us within us while he talked to us on the road while well, he opened to us the scriptures and they rose at they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying the lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon <coughs> Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself
4: stood among them and said to them, "Peace be you." But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, "Why are you troubled? And why do your doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet; that is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have." And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet while they still disbelieved for joy and marveling, he said, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it for it. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms was to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning to lose, to lose from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on
0: high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifted up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Let me pray. Father God, as we dive into blindness, your word, and fellowship tonight, Lord, may we take from it practical applications. Lord, may we be reminded of the man um, and the God who died and rose uh, at Calvary and in a tomb, Um, and how... Just take something miraculous for us to get it at times. And Lord, may you open our eyes to it. Uh, May we see uh, Jesus. And when we see Jesus, may we see our sin. May we be sanctified from it. May you draw us closer to yourself and make you more like your son. In your son's name, amen. So if you're following your Yakshi, number one is blindness of the disciples is the... First, fill in the blank, blindness of the disciples. This is a cool story. At the age of 45, a guy named Michael May miraculously regained his sight. Well, how did he do this? May was blinded at the age of three, and he lived 42 years without his sight. Then in 1999, he was given the possibility, through some new surgery, for the possibility for him to regain his sight. It was a revolutionary transplant. Prior to May's surgery, there had been only about 40 cases of sight restored to patients who had been born blind or had been blinded most of their lives. Most of these patients followed a similar pattern. At first, they experienced a euphoria of light um, and rushed into their repaired eyes. They saw color and motion immediately, and everything was new and exciting. It was a miracle. But then the frustration set in. Learning to live with sight involves a huge learning curve. You don't get it because all of you can see. But for them, it involves a huge learning learning curve. Most of newly sighted people still can't perceive height, distance, depth, or three-dimensional shapes. It's kind of the same way a newborn gets their sight. So if you ever interact with a small baby, it's kind of the same thing. Okay, and they're having to go through this as older people. They can't read facial expressions or detect gender, nor could they distinguish important information from trivial. At times, newly sighted patients felt that they belonged neither in this world where they could now see, nor in the world that they had left where they were blind. Family, family members who had expected immediate change were often crushed by this slow transformation. Remember, this is early on when this type of surgery was happening. So everything was kind of new. They were kind of figuring out what happens when people regain sight. But Michael May was a different case. When the doctors finally removed the surgical bandages from his eyes, just like the patients before, he couldn't perceive space or see height, distance, depth, or three-dimensional shapes. The moon looked as big as a street lamp to him. We couldn't read faces, but unlike other patients, May didn't get discouraged about the long learning curve. Instead, he approached his new world with an attitude of adventure like that of a child. May knew that learning to see again would not just be a magical operation, but a lifelong quest to grow, to learn, to think Even as he left the hospital, May peppered... I wish I could be there for this. May peppered his wife with questions. What is this? What is that? Is this a step? Is that a flower? That's a painting. Let me feel it. Can I touch the plant? Let me touch a car. He rode elevators over and over again for the sheer pleasure of finding the hotel lobby after the ride. And he played catch with his son, horribly missing the many balls before he finally got the hang of it. May continued to struggle with this transition to the reality of sight. His world often looked like a huge abstract painting. High-speed events such as passing of cars and bicycles became frightening. Things often looked very close, frighteningly close. Previous patients had felt discouraged or even depressed by this long, slow transformation to the new reality of sight. But May told himself it was part of the adventure, that the leap forward wasn't really a leap at all if everything felt safe. And as a result, every day, even every failure, seemed like a new opportunity for me to learn, to grow, and to change. The disciples of Christ, in this instance, were blind. They were scared. I mean, for lack of a better term, they were in shock. The man that they had followed for three years had suddenly been turned on by the crowds and the leaders, and they had hung him on a tree to die violently. Most of which were so in shock from it, they couldn't even watch their friend die. They had run. All of them were blinded. And the woman wanted to know where he went. Where is he? The tomb's empty. The men on the way to Emmaus, their grief blinded them. The disciples, their ignorance, combined with their lack of faith. Sometimes it takes even more Than Jesus standing right in front of you for you to get it. And while it's easy to pick on someone now that we can see 2020, we can make this much more personal when we realize this. And that's this. This is your second fill in the blank. And that is, we're all blind in some areas, we are all blind in some areas. And like may, it'll take time for your newfound vision in Christ to lead to sight. Might as well call this process sanctification. Because I think that's exactly what it is. Learning to see. Learning to play catch. Learning to look what a flower. Learning to know what love looks like. Learning what forgiveness looks like. Learning what dying to self looks like learning what Christ looks like. These are all things that throughout our journey with Christ, we are learning to see. And it won't be instantaneous. And at times, if you're like these people, like May, who went through vision surgery, it'll seem frustrating. But how do we approach it? I'm sure there are areas of my own uh, sanctification That have not been brought to sight, even at this point. I'm sure Stu and Todd and Joe can say the same thing. I remember busting my butt for God's approval in high school. Like, that was one of the things I was blind to. I would just bust it. Fear of not measuring up influenced all my decisions with family, with my soccer team, with friends. I had a huge blind spot. I need it to be perfect, the burden of many firstborn kids, and the burden merry loners carry. If you've ever uttered uttered the phrase, I'll do it myself, out of contempt, you might fall into this category of being blind to having to measure up. You see, with light, it's already pretty light in here. But if this is you, this is the light. Even if you're looking at the light, it always casts a shadow. There's always something you can't see, even if you're looking at the right direction. You know, in high school, I was busting my butt because I wanted to please God. Is that a bad thing? Nope. But my motivations were my blind spot my sin of having to do the work of Christ or thinking I had to do the work of Christ, I was blinded. Even though I might have been looking at the source of the light. And it would lead to many nights where it was hard to sleep, repeating past conversations a hundred times over and rehearsing future conversations over and over again. That would never happen. There might have been moments I was facing the light, but there was the shadow I was unaware of. And that's your next fill in the blank. And that is there are shadows you are unaware of. There are shadows you are unaware of. If you're like me, it will be the water dam finally spilling over that leads to the aha moment. Oh, that's what you meant by that. To where you finally get it. And then you beat yourself up. Instead of trusting God for his timing. So there's no seniors in here. And I was going to address this next part to the seniors. But they'll listen to this. And all of you will hopefully one day be seniors. Some of you have been seniors before. You might be again at some point. And these are the three things I want you to be aware of. Number one. It's another fill in the blank. Be on the lookout for your own shadows. What am I missing? You know? Be aware, because more than likely, you're probably missing something. You always have opportunities for growth and sanctification. That doesn't ever, doesn't ever go away. Two, this is the hard one. Be aware that people will see different shadows than you do and live in different shadows than you do. Be aware that people will see different shadows than you do and live in different shadows than you do. Think about it this way. People are going to sin against you. And it's real easy to be like, don't you get it? Are you in a Christian? What an idiot. Oh, that intolerable fill in the blank. And it's so easy to be frustrated and bitter. <clears throat> but you don't realize that they just might be living in the shadow that they're not even aware of their sins. So am not even aware that, okay, I might have to do this differently or think differently. Because we all think differently. Or we're prone to think differently. Number three, strive to have the same grace Christ has with us. Strive to have the same grace Christ has with us. It's very easy to become bitter at our own shadows. God, why don't you just show me my sin Early on. So I could not have to go through all that pain. Why did that person do this? And not just get it. And then they come back to me. Two years later and apologize. Why do you have to go through that in our friendship? Lord do you even know what you're doing? Will you have the same grace Christ has with us? Because we butcher our relationship with him regularly. May found his sight. The woman at the tomb remembered the words of Jesus, and he gave them clarity. The men on the road to Emmaus, well, they saw it in hindsight in verse 31 and 32. It says this, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished their sight, and they said to one another, I love this, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The disciples' minds were opened to, by the words of Christ in verse 45, when he says, then he opened their minds to understand what? The scriptures. So if we are blind, it takes the light to open our eyes. It takes the scriptures. So two, s- scripture as preeminent. Scripture as preeminent. I'm going to try to tell this story well. I'm not going to be able to tell it as good as the first guy. Um, I was uh, reading a story about a minister's brother. He had a um, brother who was a lighthouse keeper in Robbins Reef off the shore in New England, Jacob Walker. And after years of faithful service, minding the light to make sure uh, boats didn't crash along the shore, he got a cold that rapidly grew, grew worse and, his, and he died. And his wife buried his body on the mainland overlooking the lighthouse On the um, peninsula in the distance. And then his wife applied for the position as the lighthouse keeper and got it. And for 20 years, she remained alone in that lighthouse every every night. Now the newspapers got wind of it and they wanted to get a story on the lady. So they went and wanted to talk to her. And this is what she said. She said, Every evening I stand in the door of the lighthouse and look across the water to the hillside where my husband sleeps. I always seem to hear his voice saying, as he often said when he was alive, Mind the light, mind the light, mind the light. Across the troubled waters and the crashing breakers of our time, There comes another voice to us, a voice from a green hill far away without a city wall, a voice out of the blackness of earth's darkest day to us in the darkness of our evil day. And the message of the Son of God is the same. Mind the light, mind the light, mind the light. And God helping us, we will. To continue my analogy with the flashlight, we have to ask, what is the flashlight? The flashlight is the word of God, it is the scripture's. It is the way in which we interact with the world around us. It shines the light on many things, our identity, our relationships, our communities, our sin, the sin of others, the grace extended to us and the grace we extend to those around us. With the woman, it was remembering the words of Jesus that spurred them to action, leaving the tomb and going back to the disciples. It is the scriptures they heard preached that shines the light on what they were to do next. When the men on the road to Emmaus are left in doubt, notice how the two men talk to our hidden Jesus about the events of the day. And how they are basing their view. I mean, you could have done a whole sermon on this section alone. They're basing their whole view of the future in light of the actions of the leaders of Jerusalem. And the cross at Calvary. Their interpretation of reality is based on a light with a gobo against it. I don't know if you know what a gobo is. I've been in theater. It's a sheet of paper that you slide in front of a light and makes it projects an image on the wall. You get some really cool lighting if you do that. And to use the analogy of the gobo, if we interpret reality out of our fears, out of what other people want to tell us, then they project their image against the wall and the light of Christ is skewed. They even said, well, he was a good, you know, he did many good deeds, he was a good prophet among men. They didn't even get it, that he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. They were blinded to it. Why? Because it wasn't the scriptures that they had heard from the mouth of Christ that was determining their reality. It was the actions of the leaders of those in Jerusalem that had put their, um, yeah, that had put their uh, Savior to death. They needed to interpret the days of events in light of scripture that they had been preached to by Jesus. They should have interpreted the leader's actions in Jerusalem and the death on the cross at Calvary in light of the books of the Old Testament. That's how they should have interpreted their reality. Instead, their feelings of missed opportunity and doubt shadowed their thinking. The disciples, they just doubted. I, I really think they're just in shock. I just didn't get it. Jesus had to think about it. Knew, I could have done a whole sermon on this one too. He did like a 3 thing. He appears. They're like, it's a ghost. He's like, no, 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 touch me. If the spirits don't have flesh and bones, just touch. And he extends his hands and his feet. Now, the reason he extends his hands and his feet, and Luke doesn't mention it specifically, is because, well, that's probably where the holes are from the cross. So he's saying, look, I know you can see them. You can touch it. Hey. And they're like, okay, but what does it say? They still disbelieved. They touched the guy, and they're like, no. So he says, have you eaten yet? Have you eaten yet? And he's not like eating to like, okay, let's do communion right now. We're going to do communion right here. He's like, no, I'm going to prove to you I'm not a spirit. Watch me eat. I don't know if you've seen the old Casper movie from like 1995 or something like that. But every time the ghosts eat, it just goes through them and lands on the ground, like below them. It's pointless. Spirits don't eat. True story. Okay? And if you read John, he eats there too. He eats. I'm alive. This is a real guy. And then he's got to open to them the scriptures and they're like, oh, oh yeah, you did say that. And Jesus said to them, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And that repentance for the goodness of sins should be proclaimed to his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You will have moments of doubt, frustration, and bitterness. And this is your next fill in the blank, and I think it's the most important fill in the blank you'll have tonight. And it's not doubt judge, it's don't. So I apologize for the typo. It's don't judge your circumstances based solely upon the events of your life, but let scripture illuminate them to give you a fuller understanding. Don't judge your circumstances based solely upon the events of your life, but let scripture illuminate them to give you a fuller understanding. You will change your theology like crazy if you let the world determine what it is. If scripture is not the lens in which you view the world, you will have no foundation in which to view it. And notice... How in all circumstances, I love this, there's a sense of community. The women are like, we get it. Let's go tell the boys. And they go tell the boys. And the two guys on the road to Emmaus, they sit down with the guy. Immediately, it's like, it's Jesus. He disappears and they're like, let's go tell the boys. And they run back and they tell the boys. And then the disciples, they're all gathered around in fellowship and talking and hanging out together too. There's this sense of fellowship that takes place in the midst of it. And that's your third point, And that is fellowship with Christ In the midst of fellowship with others. Fellowship of Christ. In the midst of fellowship with others. I love what Max Licato. Licato. I don't know how to say his name. Says about Christian community. I love this quote. Questions can make hermits out of us. Driving us into hiding. Can they not? Yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person. I appreciate it. But distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlocked your understanding with mine, and we share our discoveries when we mix, mingle, confess, and pray, Christ speaks. There's another story about a lady who, Named Linda, a young woman. It might be our Linda. I mean, this is a story where I could be like, that could be young Linda. Okay? And uh, she's traveling by herself in a little Honda Civic from Yukon, from Alberta to the Yukon. Linda didn't know you don't travel to the White Horse alone in a rundown Honda Civic. So she set off where only four wheel drive vehicles normally venture. The first evening, she found a room in the mountains near a summit, and asked for a five a.m. wake up call. And when the person was like, gave her a perplexed look, she just didn't get it. And when she woke up at five a.m., she looked out the window and she realized the fog was so the fog was so so thick she couldn't see her hand if she waited in front of it. Oh, that's why he looked at me silly. But she didn't want to come across as dumb. So she went downstairs to have breakfast and sitting in the breakfast room. There are two big rig truckers in there. And they see Linda walk in and they invite her. Hey, come have breakfast with us. So Linda walks over because she figures she's got to be cordial with these guys. She's not really wanting to. And sits down to have breakfast with them. And they ask her, where are you going? And she tells them, I'm going to the Yukon. And they say, and what, that little Honda Civic? She's like, Yep. And they're like, no, you're going to die. And she's, you know, stubborn. No, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to drive. And they're like, okay, but we're going to hug you. And she went, she stood up from the table and she went, no, you will not. You will not hug me. I am not that. No, you're not going to hug me. And they're like, no, 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 not like that. Not like that. I'm going to drive in front of you. You're going to be in the middle. And then he's going to drive behind you. That's what we mean by hug. You're going to follow my ta- 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 taillights. And the headlights of the guy in front of you is going to help illuminate so you can see. And you always got somebody to back you up in case something happens. We're going to hug you so you can get there. And so that's what they do. She follows the two taillights over the um, uh, the pass all the way through and she's able to get to her destination and it's much like the christian life where we need somebody look to others around you who are already going down the path and probably a better equipped vehicle than you are and have somebody behind you encourage you to be a safety net and to cheer you on hopefully we can be hugged on by other path by others so we can pass through safely And to continue the light analogy, okay, I get there's, I can like poke holes in this light analogy all day. Don't overthink it, okay? But to continue the light analogy, I need a volunteer. Hold up Captain Courageous for me. Thank you. Right there, don't move. Go. You see a shadow. And when there's other lights, this one's not nearly as weak, but you get the idea. Working around you, you are able, it's able to illuminate your shadow. And it's to help you see your faults. And if you got 20 of these lights all around, you're able to see Christ better. Your shadows are brought more into the open and into the light. And you're able to deal with your sin. Hugged, to continue that truck analogy. In safety, not left alone. Thank you. Bravo, Caleb. Excellent job. Hebrews ten, twenty-four, and twenty-five says this: Let us consider how to stir up one another and to another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing nearer. Romans 12, 4, and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So how do we do this well? I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 8, Finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. A theologian pastor, martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, says this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. There are many other applications we can pull from this section, and I hope we do discuss some of them in transformation groups. And I'll end them with the words here and the desire of one John Wesley I want the whole Christ for my Savior, the whole Bible for my book the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. And I hope as we've examined the book of Luke, you see that loudly and clearly proclaimed. Christ came to set up his kingdom for the lost, for the poor, for the needy. And may we see them as a whole and reach out and love to them.